All right, welcome to the post Game of Thrones podcast. It is your host Charlie Wisco of Barstool, New York, and I am joined, as always, by the Many Snacks God, the Iron Bank Shot of Bravos, the Blogger of the Morning, the House of Black and White Cookies, the Porzingis that was promised, the King Size Kit Kat Slayer, and ruler of the Seven Courses, Clem, the Clem okay. Report, Clem Zingus, Clem, what's up? Uh, doing all right. Uh, like I said earlier, before we started recording, shout out to the Warriors for making this a very easy podcast to do since nobody has to worry about shit now that it's a, I mean, we're, we're, we're closing in on 40 points. I don't think we'll get there, but it's a, it's a beat down brutally. Yeah. Shout out to Kevin Love for letting us do the podcast on time. We thought we were worried all day about when we were going to be able to do it, but then luckily the Cavs were able to suck enough that, no, no one feels bad about switching to Game of Thrones anymore. I mean, they just—they're really doing a favor uh, by being terrible. So, shout out to you, Cleveland, you factory of misery. Um, Fifty-three minute episode. Before we get into it, so Clem, did you like the episode? I did. I think uh, I, I, it's one of those episodes where not a lot was like resolved, but a lot of like pieces moved on the board. Um, you definitely got to see some insights of how people are thinking some behind the scenes stuff. It's better than the last episode, um, which was like our Memorial day, like punt in my opinion, but that episode wasn't as bad as I thought, but this was still better than it, even though there wasn't a ton of action going on. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Not a ton of action. I mean, I've said all along, I think it's going to be a photo finish for the series. I think that uh, the last three episodes are going to be absolutely lit and that they've needed to set it up. So they took two episodes to do it, which is fine. Um, the way that this season's been and how great the uh, first six episodes of the season, or first five episodes of the season were, uh, I am totally in favor of giving the benefit of the doubt to the showrunners uh, and giving them two episodes to kind of set the table and figure stuff out uh, if it means that we're going to get an incredible finish, which I'm hoping and I think that we will. So I'm cool. The one thing I'm really kind of disappointed about it's 53 minutes. I mean, uh, Game of Thrones is because, you know, maybe this says more about my life than Game of Thrones. It's the best hour of my week, pretty much every week. Uh, I just needed, I just to have it be like, you know, whatever, 12% shorter than it normally is was just kind of disappointing. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And every time this happens on any HBO show, I get irrationally angry because like I pay the extra like a whole $10 a month or whatever it is. Um, and because it, it is, it's like the best hour of your week. It's just how we've been conditioned. It's the gift and the curse of Game of Thrones. Um, I was talking to you before, again, before we started recording, uh, my baby got a little sick. She threw up a little in her crib. So we had to get her up, clean her, yada, 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 right as we're going through the credits, like the opening credits. And like, I was like freaking out that like we fell behind and I don't check Twitter during Game of Thrones regardless, but like you never, at that point, then you don't know like what time it is. Cause you can usually look at the clock and be like, all right, there's 10 minutes of the show left. And by the time it finished, I like had a pause and I was like, wait a minute, like 53. And did you even take out like the minute or two minute ballers preview that they had in now? Like it really chops up the episode to like a really small, like serving and it, it pisses me right off. Yeah, I mean, I get I get angry about it. I get disappointed. I think I'm entitled to my 60 full minutes of Game of Thrones. But then I realize we're like an enormous hypocrite because anytime, you know, like 
viewers get on my ass and they're like, oh, we haven't had KFC Radio Premium in a while or mail time was short this week. I like I lose it. And I'm like, you're like, what do you mean? Like I get like week in and week out. I give you guys the best effort for like like no money at all. And like I don't get any sort of like like break from you guys. So I, I realize we're totally hypocritical there. Um, and totally understand. All right, let's get into the episode itself. So yeah, that's my final assessment. It was good. It, it was good. It wasn't great. You know, two slow episodes in a row. Give us three good ones, and all is forgiven. If the last three are kind of eh, then it'll be. You know, I think this will. This is already ahead of season. Uh, the previous season uh, as the worst Game of Thrones season ever, but it'd be the second worst. And I think if that was a good finish, it'll actually be one of the best. Um. All right, but let's get into the meat and bones of it. So unusual for Game of Thrones, it opens up with no theme song. When there's no theme song, you know some wild shit is about to go down. Something crazy was about to happen. Something that was going to give a big old WTF moment for the audience. And boy, did we get it. Clegane Bowl confirmed. It's happening. The Hound is back. A lot more people liked the Hound than I necessarily. I liked the Hound as a character. A lot more people liked him. Uh, than I expected. Uh, I saw a lot of people being like, oh, yeah, like my favorite character's back. I was kind of like, really? Like, the Hound's your favorite character? But I'm hyped about it, and this opens up a whole new world of possibilities, including one internet conspiracy theory uh, that I'm going to explain in a few minutes. Uh, but, Clem, what was your physical reaction when you saw the client, uh, when you saw the Hound back? Yeah, so as we've talked about in the past, I, like, stand up for the music and got all hype for it. And when there wasn't any music... I like scream like, wait, wait, no music, no music. Like what's going on here? And then I was like, Oh shit, we're about to get some, something's about to go down. And uh, I saw the dude from Deadwood and I didn't watch Deadwood. So I don't know anything about him. I just know he's like a important actor and um, people like him. So I was like, all right, sweet. Like this guy's going to be a really important character. Maybe this is a flashback. Maybe they're building the tower of joy and they're going to then see the tower of joy. Like see yeah. And then the my hound, first thought was that they were building the wall, and it was like Brand the Builder building the wall. Like that yeah. was my first. I thought we were getting like a sick flashback for sure. Um, but seeing the hound was great. Like he's not my favorite character, but I loved him. Um, he's like for me, he was like mankind back in the day of wrestling, where he wasn't like the Rock or like the upper echelon of wrestlers. Like at least when he first like started coming up the ranks. But every time he started, I'm like I fucking love that guy, man. He like he's a good dude in his heart. He 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 fight he beats motherfuckers up. So I was I was I love seeing the hound. Um, and then once the music hit and I saw a river run, I always love seeing like pieces on the map that weren't there the last episode. So like I was pretty stoked. And then like my baby threw up and like my world was thrown in chaos for like 20 minutes. But other than that, I, I was stoked once I saw the hound. Oh man, just just a world that I know absolutely nothing about. Yeah, I completely agree. I was totally stoked when I saw him. So for people who don't know, here's the background. There's been this, and I called this on Twitter, and I stand by it, that the Hound reveal was the biggest win that the Game of Thrones internet fan community has ever had in show history. The fact that I, and then I said that sentence to myself over again, I was like, I can't believe I've like ever talked to a girl before in my life when I'm like saying sentences like this was the biggest win for the uh, Game of Thrones internet fan community. But here's what the basic theory is. The basic theory is that the Hound um, survived when Arya left him. Check. That he was going to join the Faith of the Seven in some capacity. Check. He was obviously rescued by him. That he's eventually, and this is the part that could happen, although we haven't seen it happen yet, that he's going to, as we all know, Cersei is going to have Zombie Mountain 
uh, Sandor Clegane fighting for her, uh, or sorry, excuse me, Gregor Clegane fighting for her in her trial by combat, and that Sandor Clegane, the Hound, is going to represent um, the Faith of the Seven and fight in the trial by combat, and you're going to get the two Cleganes fighting. The reason that would be so sick is because the Hound has hated his brother uh, the entire time. He's mentioned that several times. It's the only person he's truly scared of, and that they're also just kind of the two biggest, baddest dudes and fighters in all of Westeros on the show. So just to have them kind of square off and go against each other uh, would be incredible. So that's obviously extremely in play right now. I mean, everything you've seen kind of leads to it, even though he's not surrounded by anybody with the faith anymore because they're dead. Um, so here's what I got out of every Clegane scene. Uh, I liked the little uh, Alcohol's Anonymous circle for murderers that they were having for Westeros. And you can <laughs> clearly see that it was effect- visibly affecting the hounds in some sense. Um, I like the fact that you saw the Brotherhood Without Banners uh, were kind of when they arrived in, I, you saw a look in his face that they brought up uh, memories of the number one thing that he hates most in the world, which is fear. Because the last time he was with the Brotherhood Without Banners, they made him fight against a flaming sword and fire is the only thing he's truly scared of. So you saw that kind of rattle and, and how he sort of, um, that sort of brought back that kind of primal fear kind of, you saw the old hound flash across his face. They're a bunch of murderous thieves now. They're no longer some noble order, like, you know, getting revenge for the Starks or whatever. And then you saw they go murder everybody in the village, and he picks up his axe, which to me means that for a guy who claims not to have a heart, Clegane is pissed off about the fact that good people keep getting murdered at the hands of evildoers, and he's about to get some justice of his own. So I think that we're about to see a big-ass fight with Clegane going medieval on a bunch of dudes with a, a hatchet, which to me sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, whenever uh, like a like a vigilante or a good guy has like a signature weapon that's not the tip, like everyone has a sword. The fact he has an axe makes it that much cooler. Like he's like the Patriot. He has the hatchet and the Patriot. That is fucking awesome. And and having the Hound doing the same shit with an axe is like they're gonna be like, oh, like the dude who butchers people with an axe. Like he's gonna start getting a name in the Riverlands or wherever he ends up as he makes his way to King's Landing to hopefully fight against his brother which should be an awesome fight right and i mean the hound was shown kindness for the first time ever i mean you've never really seen anybody be decent to the hound i kind of feel sorry for him in a sense um i i realized that halfway through that this is the first time you've ever seen you know joffrey treated him like shit when he was like under his stewardship sansa was always kind of scared of him even though the closest thing was when she said you won't hurt me but even then she kind of regarded him as somewhat of a monster Arya and him, uh, he thought that he had Arya's, you know, at least some sort of her loyalty for her looking out for her, but she left him to die because she wanted him to suffer. So everyone's kind of pissed on him his entire life. And I think that's why so many people identify with him. And maybe that's why as many people like him as uh, they do. So I thought that the fact that maybe someone showed him kindness and that now he and now he's going to get revenge for that person is sort of the hound has a conscience now where he's just like, I'm sick of this. Like, I hate this world we find ourselves in. I hate the fact that bad people trample all over good people. I'm one of like, okay. You know, when, um, true detective season one, that Matthew McConaughey line, when he's like, the world needs bad men. We keep other bad men from the door. I feel like the hound will maybe now be like, you know what? I just hate how many bad people there are. Now I'm going to be the one who's even badder than them and get some justice. I like I know George R. R. Martin always has like different um things in real life, like different cities were like based on different other cities and then obviously went back 
to like stuff in like medieval times as well. And I feel like the hound character was like based on like a dog that he saw that was just like basically treated like shit by its owners and all the different owners throughout the years and then got taken in by someone that actually loved it. And now is like being like turned on as like a like police canine to like attack like evil shitty rot, you know, like criminals and shit like that. Like it, it, the way you, you put the hound is, is like the exact way, like good dogs become bad dogs just because people are so shitty to it. So it's kind of fitting how it's the hound who, who does all this stuff. That's a fantastic observation. So obviously keep an eye on that storyline. Um, I think hopefully we see, and I hope it doesn't do the cop out where, you know, he's walking in the accident, he runs into a friend and then like it totally diverts, just show us the, show us the hound killing some people with an ax. And I think that everybody will be happy. So now let's go back to everything that's going on in King's Landing. Um, you have uh, the High Sparrow who, in his uh, talk with, uh, you know, his, <laughs> I don't know how else to put this in a politically correct way, came off as a little rapey uh, <laughs> in his talk to Marjorie. And by a little, I mean, <clears throat> and pretty much was a proponent for marital rape and that she has to have sex, which as we know in 2016 is not the case. Um, so that was kind of a weird moment for a guy who claims holiness. He goes, uh, Marjorie then just says that she's going to talk to her grandmother, the queen of thorns, uh, and try to convert her, which as we all knew was a fool's errand. Why would she ever go to do that? If she knew that as we did, that it would be a complete waste of time. We found out when she slipped her a note on the sly. And then we saw the queen of thorns finally convert, confront Cersei. Cersei tried to kind of appeal to the Queen of Thorns and her political sensibility, saying we should use each other, to which the Queen of Thorns gave a verbal beatdown, the likes of which I have never heard before. Um, Clem, what did you get on what we saw in King's Landing? I, I love uh, I, my Tyra. What's, what's the grandma's name? Uh, I, I'm, uh, Olena. Olena okay. Tyra. Yeah, she's fucking, she's the best. I've never watched an episode of Downton Abbey, but I feel like that's the kind of like old person sass that people <laughs> love watching on that show. And yeah. I can understand, like, I'm now I understand you. why Downton Abbey is probably like really good because that shit is hilarious to watch. It's old people just mixing it up, especially with like a younger cunt like Cersei, for being honest. Um, yeah. that, oh, damn. I'm with the C bomb. The hard, the hard C bomb. Uh, yeah. Cersei. Cersei's face when she dropped the whole thing, like at least like I, I've, I think, I think I've might have, I think like people have said this in the past, like, like, listen, it sucks for me, but the fact that it sucks for you makes this actually like make me feel better. I think we've all been in shitty situations, but someone else got like the shorter end of the stick. You're like, well, at least that person's life is a little miserable now. So I, I, I kind of understand where she's coming from. That was great. I love seeing Cersei just get uh, murdered. The, the sparrow, like, just it's kind of gone back to like we've said he there he's not the the holier than thou figure you know he he definitely has some he's had some horn dog in him he he he's thinking politically now he has a ton of power behind him too so he needs to have more things go his way obviously the king getting an heir always going to you know make him stronger now that he has tom in his pocket and remove marjorie from the equation a little bit more who's the one who delivered uh toman in the first place Exactly. It cuts the queen out uh, once Tommen has an heir. And the one thing I wouldn't, so I, I don't know if I've no, mentioned this in the past, but I, I use subtitles because uh, I can't, like I pick up so much more with the subtitles and I'll watch it again without the subtitles. But the first yep. time I watched it, I didn't even notice that it was, I wouldn't have noticed that she had crumpled paper 
and gave it to her. I would have thought like it was just uh, Olena's old ass like knee breaking. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I saw someone in the chat. David righted herself. What? Thought she David righted herself. Yeah, exactly. Like she, yeah, like four to six weeks on the DL. Um, I, and I, I, someone mentioned in the chat room. I don't know if that old bag that was there uh, from the Sparrows noticed that she got the note. It didn't seem that she did. But I, I mean, she- we, we, we know Marjorie's playing the game. I'm telling you. The Kim Kardashian of Westeros. She knows exactly what she's doing, man. She's been playing this game since she was uh, dating gay, you know, married to a gay guy, married to the biggest sociopath in all Westeros, and married to like a 10-year-old dude that loves playing with cats. She will do whatever needs to be done for her family to stay in power, and this is just the latest example of it, and I, I, I love her for it. She's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you're using the uh, Kim Kardashian comparison as a compliment instead of an insult, I'm with it. I mean, <laughs> I think that we've known that she meant business ever since she told her uh, gay husband that he can start with her brother and then finish up inside her to get room in there. I think that's when we knew that she played for Keats. I completely agree. I mean, to me, the uh, I don't think that the uh, old lady saw the note. Um, there's nothing to me that would indicate that she did. So I'm just going to kind of assume that she didn't. Uh, to me, obviously, there was nothing of any real significance on it in terms of strategic. But what it just showed was it was kind of like Arya's, uh, Arya having Needle buried outside the house of black and white, which was symbolic of Arya's individuality as a Stark. It was just kind of a, hey, don't worry. I'm a Tyrell. I know this. Like, I'm just kind of playing the game right now. Um, I'm only doing like it was just like I'm still a Tyrell. I know what's going on. And so the fact that her and her grandmother were able to kind of that she was able to, A, lie so effectively that even her own grandmother wasn't able to immediately pick up on it, but also that that quick note would just pack so much uh, layers of meaning was really, really cool. I thought that was extremely well done. And I was... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I, 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 the whole time I'm thinking, like, does, does the High Sparrow know she's kind of playing? I'm sure they're skeptical about turning anybody for a little while until they've done it. But the fact that, like you said, even her grandma was believing it, I'm like, okay, like, I'm sure that was kind of done to kind of convince the audience. Like, everyone kind of believes that Marjorie's been turned now, even her grandma, who's known her since she, the day she was born. Yeah, and I mean, I never thought Marjorie was able to get turned. I mean, she's too smart. She's too strong. Um, no one like that's able to get manipulated. So they're... So I just am wondering what her end game is because she clearly has one. Um, I think that the number one thing that her concern is going to be is going to be ensuring safety for Loris. Loris is the person she loves most in the world. And then the second thing, obviously, is going to be to ensure the future of House Tyrell and make sure that her own power increases. So obviously she didn't cut a deal. So my original thought on what happened last uh, week was that she cut a deal with the High Sparrow where she basically delivered Toman with the thing of, all right, I'll give you Toman, but in exchange, you're going to let go of my brother. That's out. Um, I mean, because the High Sparrow clearly thinks he has some sort of hold on her and she's putting on this facade in front of him as well. So she has to have something up her sleeve. What that possibly could be, I just have no idea because I don't really know what she has at her disposal to necessarily use unless she's just sort of treading water until someone's getting rescued. But the fact she would tell Elena to go and leave for Highgarden, I think means she's going to do something to burn King's Landing to the fucking ground. I just don't know what that, and with her and Loris escaping, I just have no idea what that could be or what she could even use. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I have faith in her though. I think she's going to, yeah. she'll, she'll, she'll end up, 
she'll still be with us going hard, going strong by next season. Cause this shit's about to come to a head sooner or later. Um, especially if this whole cool game bowl goes down. And then after that, shit's going to probably get pretty crazy with Cersei. God knows what's going to happen with her. If the mound does lose. So um, I, I have faith in Marjorie here. So we'll see what happens. I guess. By the way, how about Marjorie just being able to pull off anything? I mean, you put her in a oh. simple tunic, you put her in a gown and it's just a 10 out of it. Do you know that actress is like 30, 35 or something? Really? Yeah. Someone told me that I looked it up. I was shocked. The fact she was like, I'd never heard of her until the show is, is, a, is a travesty. Hollywood, do better. That's all I got to say. Like, it shouldn't yeah. take until she's on Game of Thrones in her early 30s that we that we first see Natalie Dormer for the first time. Yeah, like early 30s, looks like that. I think a British accent. She should have been. She should have been someone who, like, meant a lot to me for, like, since I was 11 years old. Like, she should have been famous at the age of 20. So, yeah, Hollywood, do better than that. All how right. did none of the princes in England, like, how did William, like, miss out on her? I mean, Kmoth is awesome, don't get me wrong, but, like, you fucked up. England, you fucked yeah. up. I'm surprised more of these, well, I don't, I don't really follow the royal family. I'm surprised they don't get caught up in, like, more scandal. Like, what else, like, what else would you do? Um, all right, so now let's go down to River Run. Uh, Brand's back. Incredible. Brand's been a top. Bron. Bron, excuse me. Thank you um bronze being back i should make a note of that i've been misspelling a lot my blogs lately and people have been calling me out for not editing them um bron being back is incredible he's a top three top five character for me um he's gonna take this jv operation this bush league nonsense (laughs) that the frays are running and whip them into shape and make it a legitimate siege he's already started doing that they tried to club, bluff the blackfish saying, kill my, you know, we're going to kill, uh, you know, we're going to kill a Tully. We're going to kill Edmure unless you immediately surrender to which the blackfish did not blink, uh, whether or not he didn't care about if he died or if he uh, just didn't think they would actually do it. Personally, I think it's both. And then he goes to parlay with Jamie. And while Jamie tries to convince him, the blackfish essentially spits in his face. Uh, I don't think there's too much to talk about it, but what did you get out of it, Clem? Yeah, I love seeing Braun. Um, Braun also is like, I don't know, he's kind of lost a little bit of credibility in my, eyes, in my eyes, though, because he just seems like a sucker. Like, these Lannisters just keep promising him the fucking star in the moon, and, stars on the moon, and he just keeps coming back. And no, I, think, I think he keeps getting it. Like, he just gets more and more and more. I think he's also... Part of what Braun, I think, is like sort of things that he thinks he wants to sit back and be happy, but a natural born killer like him isn't happy just kind of resting on his laurels in a castle. He wants to he wants to die fighting like deep down. That's what he wants to do. T-Rex don't want to be fed. T-Rex wants to hunt kind of don't give him the goat. He wants to earn his his uh, high born uh, woman and, and his and his castle. OK, that's fine. Um, rough look for Edmure. I mean, the dude, is, the, guy, the guy was a pussy since the time we saw it. We met him and he missed the arrow like five times and the blackfish had to do the, the Viking funeral on the guy. Right. So fuck him. Yeah. Um, I, I thankfully knew, watched Pirates of the Caribbean and knew what Parley was. Cause I would have had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> I thought you did too. I'm sure like we're not the only ones. Cause that's, that's the only way. Um, yeah. Like you said, the phrase are such a, Fraser's such a JV squad. Jamie's army was ridiculous. So like, I was like, oh shit, that's a legit army coming here now. So shit might go down. Um, but I, I hope 
for multiple reasons. The blackfish doesn't die or, or lose any kind of battle uh, anytime soon. Cause that is like a legit badass that we need on the good guy side. You know, like the guy just didn't give a shit about Edmure and he, you know, he survived the red wedding, even if it was like kind of by luck. Um, that's the kind of guy we need to, to see more of. I, I don't know how often he was in the books, but I want to see more of him on the show personally. And I mean, just daring Jamie to attack him, like literally looking at a force of thousands and just daring them. And I love the line, you know, you might take, you'll kill hundreds of mine, but we'll take down thousands of yours. Basically saying, you know, this war isn't over as long as I'm alive. And I, it's like, you want to kill me fine, but just realize I'm taking down all you with me. Unbelievable to see a guy like that. Just wanted to die for the cause, something that Sansa and John could need more of. And I actually have kind of thoughts on the blackfish that I'm going to save for the next part. So remind me to get to that. Actually, I'll just get to it now. <laughs> so uh, happening a little farther up north, you have Jon Snow and Sansa are trying to rally an army. Jon Snow gets the wildlings behind him with a rousing speech from him and Tormund. It was very nice. Uh, he goes and he gets them uh, to agree to attack King's Landing on their behalf. He then has to go beg a 10-year-old, which, I mean, a smart 10-year-old, to be credit, one of the smarter 10-year-olds I've ever seen, but probably not something he quite pictured doing when he thought about restoring his ancestral home. Uh, but then Davos, the convincer-in-chief, was able to pull off a little bit of the magic that he pulled off in the Iron Bank for Stannis and convinced her to pledge not many, only 62 fighters, but some fighters nonetheless. And then they go to a different house who's so insignificant, I don't even really remember their name and try to convince them, and they have absolutely no luck. Um, here's kind of what I got out of this scene. So the first thing is that Davos is an invaluable asset because he's able to relate to common people in a way that no other character is, and I think that's a really great theme for him uh, and something that has been an underrated characteristic is the way he's able to kind of speak the language of common people for his you know, more high-born associates. So I've always really enjoyed that aspect. I was glad we got to see it again. Second is when he said the real war is between the alive and the dead and was able to convince her that way. The White Walkers are going to be the grand unifiers of the show. I mean, it is sort of kind of silly that we're seeing all this political operations. And then meanwhile, there's this army of ice zombies amassing right outside a wall that's ready to attack and overrun it at any given time. I know a lot of people have sort of criticized the show being like, it's hard for me to care about all this other stuff when we know that that's coming, which to me is a very fair criticism and something that the show has to kind of, that's a, that's a line they have to walk. You know what I mean? That's yeah. going to be a really difficult thing for them to try to navigate um, because, you know, it, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, they're going to have to make uh, us care about what's going on even when there's this huge force. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they negotiate that. And I hope they do it well uh, so they don't render the rest of the show relatively meaningless. And then finally, the last thing is that, or sorry, the second to last thing is that when you see Sansa kind of unsuccessfully convince that guy, there is lingering resentment to the Starks for the fact they lost the war. I mean, we always hear about in sports, just win baby and the rest takes itself. The rest takes care of itself. The Starks lost and they lost badly to the Lannister forces. Even if it was by trickery, even if it was a dirty play, they still lost and they lost it basically by the fact that, you know, Rob Stark wanted to choose love over politics, which was a stupid thing to do. And that, and so every Northman who's alive is literally lucky to have their lives 
because that means their lives were spared by a winning army. That's an accusation of the Stark. So you lost, we fought for you once, you lost for them before. Why should we put our lives on the line for you again? That they really don't have an answer for. That there is no way until they start winning and maybe, you know, get one victory against the Boltons and then get some momentum. But that's for now something that they actually just have no answer for. So it's kind of interesting to see them run into that wall repeatedly and not have anything to say about it. And then finally, Sansa pens a letter. I personally think it's to Peter Baelish to get the Knights of the Vale. Uh, but I do think that they're going to need one more piece in order to take down uh, the Boltons, which I know Trent said, it sounds like you're talking about assembling a team for a Stanley Cup run. Uh, but I do think that they're going to need the proverbial scrappy third liners to get them through. That was a very long soliloquy about everything that I just thought. So I'm going to wrap it up and throw it to you, Clem. What did you think about what we saw in the North? Yeah. First off, that other house, I think, was the Glovers, right? Because yeah. I remember the house looked like a glove and I thought Gary Payton. So that's the only reason I remember. <laughs> I feel like that would be Gary Payton symbol. Um, and going back to what you said, like, the more you hear, especially the, the way the Northerners talk about the war and even the phrase and they talk about Rob Stark and his whore wife and all this stuff, you realize how much Rob really did fuck up by turning down the phrase, by marrying an outsider, not even like a Northern woman. He really fucked up. And that chick was, that's a chick you, you break oaths for. And I guess you die for if you, if that's your thing. So I don't blame him because that's, like I said last week, the hottest chick in the history of the show, in my opinion. But you just learn how much Rob really did fuck up. Um, I loved, uh, dude, you know, I'm a Mormon guy. You know, I love Jorah. I loved, I don't know how to say the dad, Jor, Jor Mormont, the guy who gave him Longclaw. So I'm, I'm team Mormont through and through. Uh, and the fact that her name is Liana, love to see her and Rickard. This is in my brain. Liana Stark marries, Liana Mormont marries Rickard Stark. We have another Liana Stark in the mix, and it all comes full circle back to the way it was back when Ned was a kid and they had Liana. Um, Davos is the fucking man, and the, and the reason why, like you said, he talks like a common person. When Sansa and John were raised, their whole lives in like, you know, being in the upper echelon, being the one percenters of, of, the, of Winterfell, even though, like, you know, the Starks are more humble than your typical other uh, houses that, that are big in the show they still don't know what it's like to be a common person like Davos was. I was actually kind of hoping that Davos was going to do the whole thing where he shows like Davos's Trump card is always showing that his fingers got ripped off by Stannis. And I was like, dude, are you going to show us the nubs again? He didn't show us the nubs. I was pretty surprised about that. Um, and my wife, what? I said, I've always thought you actually sort of remind me of Davos, like personality wise. (laughs) You know what? I do appreciate that. Davos is my dude. And your place in Barstool is kind of like Davos in the sense that he was this, like, he was kind of this, you know, smuggler who got to this high position and now is, like, powerful. Like, the fact you started off as a part-time blogger, but you are one of, you're, like, the only part-time blogger that graduated into a full-time position. So now you're part of, like, the full-time roster at Barstool, and Barstool sort of tiered between the full-time and part-time guys. But you're still, like, really nice to us because you remember what it was like when you were one of us. So you're sort of the Davos of Barstool. I remember it's like because I'm a professional blogger. I don't think you really get any kind of um, <laughs> your, your ego doesn't build when you add blogger to your LinkedIn page. It actually is like a writer slash blogger is what I put on my LinkedIn page because I was like, you know, it's just I like most influential connection on LinkedIn or one of them. <laughs> actually, spags as I checked. <laughs> um, but uh, Davos, my wife, made another point. He knows how to talk to ten year old girls. 
Shireen like had him ready <laughs> for this fucking bargaining thing. I was like, that's a great point right there. So, you know, RIP Shireen. She's still making her presence known on the show today, even as she's a pile of ash somewhere in the North. Um, and, <laughs> and going back to when John was rallying the troops, I ride with the giant. I'm going to be honest with you. John's my guy. I love John Stark. Uh, but if the giant was like, no, fuck this, we ain't riding with John Stark. I was pr- John Snow. I was probably gonna oh, have to root against John Snow. I'm a big guy. I ride with the giant. I said this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Big guys, we sympathize with the giants on this show more than any other character because we know what it's like to be the big dude that everyone looks at when they come in the room. Is like, what the fuck is this guy's deal? So I just want to say, I'm riding with the giant. Giant backs John Snow. I'm riding with John Snow. All right, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's the one thing that they keep bringing up, and they're like, can you win? Can you win? Like, you don't have – who do you have? Who do you have? I'd be like, uh, I have a fucking giant, dude. Like, what else What else do I really need? If we get even close to the castle, we'll just tear down the walls and start throwing, you know, boulders at people. I think that I think that John really undersells the whole giant aspect of his uh, strategic plan when he's trying to sell people on the chances of victory. I mean, you have a giant, John. Maybe, you know, maybe – Maybe use it. Yeah, um, it's like it's like how, how many people you bring into the club? Well, I got, you know, 15 dudes, five girls. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, one of those girls is Nina Agda. Oh, okay, you guys are coming in. Like, that's that's what yeah. the giant is. It's the fucking trump card. Use The fucking Starks, man, they have such honor. They just can't, like, tell it like it is. Like, throw down the fucking ace of spades on people. And like you said, Sansa, I think, was writing Littlefinger as well. And he's, you know, like I said, you want to cut those kind of people out of your life. But at this point, it's like you'd rather – not die on the battlefield than like die down the road because little finger double crossed you. But you know, Sansa seems like the person that's kind of doing the stuff behind John's back that he doesn't know about that might end up hurting them in the long run. Just the way that they're shooting it. That's just like the feeling I get. But again, that's because like little finger is the biggest snake in the game. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think as much as little finger is a snake, there's no way that they can win this without him, at least in my opinion. I also think the Vale would be incredible base of operations uh, for their invasion in case they get beaten out, giving that the Vale is pretty much impregnable. They could also get uh, kind of the wildlings could maybe apply to like the hell people of the Vale and get them to fight for them um, the way that Tyrion was able to. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, but I don't think it's impossible. And then the point I wanted to make about Blackfish that I'm circling back to now is that if they're able to somehow – repel uh the lannister forces or that their attention is drawn somewhere in the sea gens uh if they're able to hold that castle then blackfish will be able to maybe help join and uh help john or at least divert some bolton forces south that would be the ideal thing is that if they diverted bolton forces south so then john's army is able to take uh um winterfell relatively unguarded that to me is the best possible scenario and somebody made a very, very, very good point uh, in the chat. I'm trying to get to it where they said that right now it's setting up that there are two huge battles that are going to go down uh, at the end of this season. Um, one of them is between Blackfish and the Lannisters, and the other one is between Jon Snow and the Boltons. And the good guys might win one, but they're probably not going to win both, knowing the show. So. Um, yeah, I think we're in, as I've said repeatedly, I think we're in for a explosive finish these last three weeks and I cannot wait. All right. We have two more, um, we have two more things on it, uh, storylines to go, and then we're going to wrap up a little bit early because obviously, you know, it was a shorter episode. Um, oh, Clem, I'm actually running into a crisis next weekend. 
I don't have another nickname for you. So people <laughs> are going to need to tweet at me ideas for nicknames. I've gotten through seven weeks so far being able to come up with an original nickname for Clem when we start this podcast. I'm going to give myself some credit here, and I'm going to say that they're all that they're fire. Uh, I've liked every single one of them. I think I'm shooting 100%. Please, people, give me good suggestions so I'm able to finish out 10 for 10 on the season. Anyway, Theon, do you have anything on him or not really? Uh, no, it, I, I don't. I don't know if like weeks and months and years of having like your dick cut off and being tortured and all that stuff can kind of go away by like one good speech by your sister. But I have to say, I fucking, I love the iron Islanders. Um, they really have rubbed off on me uh, watching them just like go to town with all those hookers in slavers Bay. Right. That's where they were. Um, and yeah, Yara making out with a chick with a tattoo tear. I mean, and saying she's going to fuck her crazy. Like, God bless the Island Islanders. Um, I I'm interested to see like I'm interested to see if Danny takes them up on their offer because Euron is there as well. Who's gonna you know he still has to build his fleet. If they can get to Danny first, which obviously they have the huge start on him. Uh, you know I I didn't see the Island Islanders the Iron Islanders being a big part of like the future I thought it was just going to kind of fade to the background and it looks like they're going to be a pretty big part of this, which I was surprised about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Island Islanders has kind of taken over what we thought the Dorn storyline would be, yep. which I think we're all completely fine. with. Um, you know, it's interesting because for the Island Islanders, will she take her up on that offer? Maybe. Uh, I thought that was a little uh, foolish when she said, you know, when he said, uncle, uh, the uncle Euron's going to keep, pursuing us and she went uh what she said she said it's a big world and we have fast ships well guess what he has fast ships too and he's seen more of this world than you have so he knows a couple shortcuts probably that you don't so i wouldn't be as confident uh, as she seems to be one thing that i thought was interesting when she kept his sister kept saying drink and theon kept drinking is that he still has that obey switch that ramsey installed someone else has their finger on it now his sister um not himself so or sorry not you know his sister has it now not ramsey but mm -hmm. it just kind of shows he still has that subservient nature beaten into him and he's never going to really get out of it and he seems a lot less human right now than he seemed with sansa my theory for that is because theon is still has a absolutely enormous i mean it's not theory it's a fact he has an enormous amount of guilt about what he did to the starks and that the only time he really is human and has any sort of redemption and is able to kind of come out of the reek mold and become Theon again is when he's in service to the Starks, making up for what he did uh, and sort of making up for that, you know, cardinal fatal sin. Uh, so I think that he's going to die, um, you know, for the Starks someday. And I hope he does. I think it's the ending that's best for everyone involved, both for the Starks to have him die for them. But also, you know, also for him, I think that it would be a big moment of closure for him to give his life for the family who we fucked over so badly. So I kind of hope he dies that way. And yeah, I think you're right about the speech, Clem. I mean, uh, I've never had my dick cut off, so I don't know what that's like. So I don't want to speak to that. That wouldn't be fair of me. However, I do know what it's like uh, to have sisters. My brother's actually calling me right now. I'm gonna call back. Uh, and uh, I don't think them encouraging me and making fun of me for not being able to have sex after getting my dick cut off would inspire me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that 
that's just brothers and sisters being brothers and sisters, I guess. Like, hey, remember like that girlfriend you had that was kind of a dick or bitch, but oh no, or remember the time you got your dick cut off and our family line died because you are an idiot? I guess yeah. that is just kids being kids. <laughs> True. All right, final one. Um, yeah, just kids being kids, just really normal kid stuff. Dick's getting cut off, making fun of people for it. Arya, um, really sloppy by her. I mean, all of us saw that coming. I'm surprised she didn't. I thought that she was going to lie low and wait for that woman to come to her. Um, she's bleeding in a world that doesn't care about her. She has that wound, and no one really seems to give a shit. Is Arya going to die? I feel like if Arya was going to die – she would already be dead. Um, this yeah, is my uh, thank you, and and I'm with you on this. Like literally, the first person, at least that we see, that she sees, that's like seems like like a little bit like hmm, that seems a little off. This old lady coming up to you and going hi, sweet child. Like that's probably the fucking waif coming to fucking kill you. Um, this is my thoughts yeah. on Arya though. Not staying woke, bullshit. But. The one thing Jack and Hagar said was don't let her suffer. And the way she kind of was like, all right. And she seemed happy like that. She got the okay to kill Arya because she apparently has it out for her is that you stab someone in the gut, like 30 times that, and then like, don't go for the throat slash that's kind of letting them suffer as she like bleeds out in the streets. So I feel like something's going to happen where the wave is going to go down for let, for letting Arya suffer. And then basically I don't know how she's going to, I think she will survive. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think she doesn't like, that will be the end of the, the story with the many face God is basically, Hey, we fucked up. The wave is dead. I think the wave's going to get killed by Jack and Hagar and Ari is going to somehow survive and sail back to Westeros with all the knowledge and power she's learned and like kind of just brought her story to a screeching halt. I mean, I would need, if I were, if I were her, um, I would have just gotten on that ship. I would have given that guy and been like, all right, we sail it done. Great. I'll be in my cabin right now, guarding my door with a friggin' sword, making sure no one gets in. Um, and I'll see you in the morning. So uh, kind of, yeah, a poor strategic move on her part, but it is what it is. I don't think I agree with you. I don't think she's dead. If she was dead, she'd already be dead. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see. I don't know how she survives or where that possibly is going, but I think your theory sounded pretty good, and it's better than anything I have. All right, that's it, it, it for the did, Game it, of Thrones podcast. It, it did kind of, like, give – I will give them this much, though, before we wrap up. I will give them this much is that just seeing Arya get stabbed, like, 100 times, I'm like, these motherfuckers did it again to us. They killed another Stark out of the blue. Like, there was no buildup. It was just, like, stab, 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 stab. And I'm like, she's dead. They killed Arya. Yeah, that's the thing. There was no buildup. If there was buildup, I believe it. But, like, there's no – there was nothing – there's no way they just kill Arya like that. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't, it'd be more dramatic, especially with, especially with, it's not like they were wasted space. Like there were seven minutes of showtime left. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. It is what it is. Um, all right, cool. That's it for me. Uh, that's it for you, Clem. Um, anything else coming up this week that you want people to know about? Uh, we have the No Quitters podcast still, MTV The Challenge, at No Quitters Pod on Twitter. Um, we're talking to maybe some, at least one or two cast members to get them on in the sh- in the near future. Just working that out now. Challenge has been bad. We had a little you bit of a rant last so many- What's that? Sorry, I said you get so many people on the show. I guess because how many 
uh, podcast about the challenger can there possibly be? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's coming up uh, this week. Uh, we had a little bit of a rant. Hopefully the challenge gets better. I think it's going to bounce back at the end of this year and then into next year and follow me on Twitter at the club report. All right. And- sounds good. Uh, I'll be on tomorrow. I'm recording the scoring position podcast with our girl, Alyssa Rose. Um, daughter of legendary Mets broadcaster Howie Rose. So look out for that. That'll be going out on Tuesday. We're talking about, I think she's asking me. Uh, uh, so she invited me on, and I was like, of course, I'll do it. You know, what am I going to do? You know, I said, of course, Alyssa, I'll go on. And then I was like, so what are we talking about? She's like, oh, you know, we'll be talking about like dating and sex life in college. I'm like, oh, because if, if anyone's an expert on dating, it's me, the guy who's literally never had a girlfriend at any point or has never like <laughs> tried to have a girlfriend at any point in college. Like I literally had a girlfriend for like all of high school and then college I was like, yeah, I'm just going to be single. So we'll see how that goes. I bet it, I bet it'll be fun though. So people look out for that. That's on the KFC radio network. Uh, the game of Thrones blog is going up tomorrow Buy t-shirts. Uh, we have a Hodor t-shirt. Uh, he lived, he laughed, he held the door. It's the only t-shirt I've ever came up with in, Barstool history, and I'm very proud of it. So please buy it. I also have another. Uh, we also have another T-shirt of Tyrion Lannister, who we haven't seen in two episodes, by the way. I need my Tyrion fan, mm-hmm. my favorite character. Uh, I drink and I know things. So uh, people go buy those. Um, that's about it. That's the show. <laughs>